are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. You excited about Thanksgiving this week? Me too. Yeah, I love it. And uh, I love turkey. It's one of my favorite things in the world. And uh, I'll get to be with family. In fact, Annette and I will leave today after this service, and we will head uh, back east to be with all of our family. Actually, we'll see everybody. And uh, even tomorrow, I will be with the princess. Yes, my little granddaughter, Sadie. Yeah, you get tired of hearing about her, I'm sure. So, um, you know, the most important thing about this coming week is that we find a way in all of our own hearts, thoughts, prayers, to remember what God has done and to express our gratitude to Him for all of His blessings in our lives and His faithfulness, right? So that's what we'll focus on this week. You know, in 1995, where were you in 1995? Not yet alive, right? In 1995, um, my family and I were living in, in a little town called Columbia, Tennessee, Columbia, Tennessee is south of Nashville about one hour. And in April of that year, on the 19th day, something happened that literally shook the world. A bomb was detonated here in Oklahoma City. It blew up the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building. And what we did over those next few days is what I think most of the nation did. We gathered around our televisions, and we watched what was unfolding here in Oklahoma City. I don't know how much you felt it, but you had a lot of support from people literally, I think, around the world during those those days that you experienced that. Now, since I've gotten here, Annette and I have sat at dinner with people who were actually near the Murrah building when the bomb went off, and we've heard the stories, and, and we really wanted... I mean, within the first few weeks that we got here, we wanted to see the memorial. And so we got in our car, and we drove downtown, and we stood at that very quiet setting. And we read every plaque that we could read, and we tried to understand the meaning behind the memorial, and we listened to a park ranger recall the awful events of that day and everything that happened. And so then what happened next is over the next couple of years, we had friends come to town to see us. And so everybody that came to town to see us, we would get in our car together, we would drive them downtown, we would go to the memorial, and we would stand with them in that very quiet place, and we would remember them with them the events that had taken place on that awful day. You know what's interesting? There wasn't anybody that we took to the memorial over those first few years who asked us, a question like this. Now, tell us why it is again they wanted to build a memorial. Nobody asked that. Everybody understood it. They, they realized that we wanted to somehow say, as a city, we can never forget what happened that day. We never want to forget those who lost their lives, the 168 victims. We, we never, ever, ever want to forget those who survived in their stories. We never want to forget the rescuers, the heroes in the story. And we never want to forget the impact of violence on a city. And so, therefore, you have a memorial. 
It's not uncommon. The truth is we've built memorials throughout history. And the reason we build memorials is because there are some things in life that are too important to forget. I'll say it again. There are some things in life that are too important to forget. So I want to talk about you for a minute. And I want you to think about your life's journey to this point. And I want you to think about those times when God worked powerfully on your behalf. I want you to think about when God helped you cross over to the other side of a really tough situation. I want you to think about a time when God brought you through, when God sustained you, when God provided for you, when God answered prayer. So when you challenge me to think like that, the first place my mind goes is back a few years ago, what God did in the life of one of my daughters. There was a season of her life where God worked in such a powerful way. I just can't still today hardly believe that God did this on our behalf. And I just feel like that's one of those times when God did something so great. Annette and I can never forget that. We always must remember what God did for our family in that season of our daughter's life. And probably you have things in your mind right now. And you're saying to yourself, yep, I should never, ever, ever forget what God did back there. See, I think it's easy to say, come on, Rick, what do you mean we should never forget? How can you forget when God does something amazing, right? I don't know. We're pretty forgetful. Did you know that throughout the Old Testament, in prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah, God says over and over again, you have forgotten. Spend a little time hanging out with the prophets. You'll see it over and over. You have forgotten that I delivered you. You've forgotten that I saved you. You have forgotten that it was I who brought you through. In fact, I've got a verse with me, and uh, it's just one verse that is reflective of many verses throughout the Bible. It's Psalm 106, and here's what God says. They forgot the God who saved them. They forgot who had done great things in Egypt. Wait a minute, Egypt, isn't that where all the plagues happen and finally God delivers them out of slavery? Wouldn't you think that if God delivered somebody from slavery, they would remember that God had delivered them from slavery? Mm -mm. They forgot the God who saved them. They forgot the God who had done great things in Egypt. We can be pretty forgetful. But there's some things that are too important to forget. So I want to take you to Joshua today, chapter 4, okay, verse 19. If you want to open your Bible, you can go there. I'll be there with you in just a minute. But first I want to tell you a story that kind of sets us up to reading the Scripture. So here we go. You remember the Old Testament story. The people of Israel are slaves in Egypt. 
but God delivers them. They cross the Red Sea. God parts the waters. Do you remember that fantastic story of what God did for them? However, it's been 40 years since that happened. And for the last 40 years, they've been wandering in the wilderness. They have failed. They have let God down. They have disappointed God. They have grumbled. They've complained. They've kind of made a mess of all that God has done for them. But now it's time to cross over into the land that God had promised them. I'm going to give this land to you. And so they stand now on the banks of the Jordan River, ready for the first time in their lives to cross over into this land that God says, it's yours, I'm giving it to you. And so they get instructions. The day before, Joshua calls all of Israel together and says, tomorrow, tomorrow God's going to do great things as you have never seen God do before. And so the morning comes. Today we're crossing over. The Ark of the Covenant, this box carried by poles, Levitical priest. When you see the Levitical priests go with the Ark of the Covenant, you follow them. And so they're commanded, go stand in the middle of the Jordan River. God's going to part the water, and you're going to cross over. I'd be like, can he just go ahead and part the water, and then we will go. Okay, can we do it that way? When they get to the water's edge, the water coming from upstream stops. And the Bible says that the Levitical priests carry the ark of God into dry ground in the middle of the Jordan River. And then 40,000 Israelites, all armed and ready for battle, cross over to the other side. When they all get on the other side, Joshua says, Okay, before we, before we go further... We want one man from each tribe, the 12 tribes, 12 men, go back into the river where the ark is now with the priest holding it and pick up a stone, okay? And carry this stone up out of the water and carry it with you to the place that we're going to camp tonight. And when we get to the place we're going to camp tonight, we're going to stack the stones and we're going to build an altar. And they're going to serve as a memorial so that we will never forget what God has done. That He brought you out of the wilderness and that He parted the waters of the Jordan and you all walked across on dry ground. We never want to forget what God has done today. And so that's what they did. They carried the rocks out of the Jordan. And after they carry the rocks out of the Jordan, all the priests come out of the Jordan with the ark and they go camp and they build the altar. Let me take you to verse 19, okay, chapter 4. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. You understand? They're in the promised land, okay? And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Why are these stones stacked here? You can tell them that Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. 
He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. And so when you see this stack of 12 stones for the rest of your lives, and then you tell your children, and they see this stack of stones for the rest of their lives, and they tell their children, and they see this stack of stone for the rest of their lives, they will remember that one day God did something amazing. And 40,000 Israelites crossed a riverbed on dry ground while the waters parted. And he brought them out of the wilderness into the land that he had promised them for years. And so I love this in chapter 3. These stones are to be a reminder to the people of Israel forever. See, there's some things that are just too important to forget. So what is it that God has done in your life? What did God bring you through? How did God sustain you? How did God provide for you? How did He answer prayer? How did God bring you out of the wilderness? And today you think to yourself, you know what? It's too important. I should never forget what God did for me. So last week I remember coming to church. It was Sunday morning and we were all here and I think we had just maybe sung a song or two and I came walking up onto the platform and I said, we're going to pray together, but before we do, I've got something I want you to pray with me about. I told you that your former pastor, Dr. David Busick and his wife, Christy, I told you that they were in Germany 5,000 miles away. And that they had had COVID and they'd been quarantined in Germany for a couple of weeks. And Christy wasn't doing so well, even though she was testing negative with a home test. And David really wanted to get her home to the doctor, to her doctor. And they needed to pass a nasal test in order to get on the plane and fly home. Well, I got good news to share. On Tuesday night, David and Christy were on a plane that touched down in Oklahoma City. And we give God thanks and praise for bringing them home, right? good news. Christy is doing better, not great yet, but doing better. So we can keep praying for her. Also told you that my pastor, Dr. Terry Rowland, his wife Judy had had COVID, some major complications, pretty concerned about her. She's doing much better too, so we give God thanks for what he's doing for Judy. However, I told you that day that I felt like those prayer requests were representative. And so after we had had the service, and I'm out in the foyer saying hi to folks. Many of you came to me and said, hey, Pastor Rick, I know we prayed today for those people. Would you pray for my grandson? Somebody else came and said, would you pray for my husband? Somebody else came and said, would you pray for my kid? I mean, I had many of you saying, would you pray? We're going through some stuff. We need prayer today too. You know what it reminds me of? There's always, always, there is always a river to cross in life. I wish it wasn't so. But it is. 
I don't know how many times I've stood here in the last 10 years or so and said to you, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And in my life, there is always a river to cross. There's always a challenge in front of me. There's always something that I'm dealing with. Let me tell you something else. There's always a river to cross, but there is always God to see you through. And that's been my story over the years. There's another river to cross, but God is going to see me through. Now, I just want to make a point this morning if I can. And I'll spend a few minutes here. I want you to understand that it was God who brought these people through. Okay? It was God who brought them through. I think sometimes we, we forget. We, 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 we don't. We don't remember what God has done. And, and we just kind of sometimes maybe think that we got ourselves through. They didn't get themselves through. It was God who parted the water. It was God who brought them through. Sometimes I think there's a sense of arrogance. That, How'd you get through that? Well, you just, you just do the best you can and you get through. You know what I mean? You just, you know, you just kind of get yourself up and going and you get through. You got to get through. Well, no, it, it, it was God. God brought us through. And, and so if we forget that God brought us through, there sometimes becomes this sense of arrogance in our hearts where we kind of think, I, you know, I got myself through. Well, well, no, I didn't get myself through. When I do that, then I become God. I become my own God. I, I, I become, you know, I can, I can get myself through. I can do this. You know what the struggle with that is? Here's the struggle. The next time that I find myself standing at the edge of a river and I know that I've got to somehow get across these waters, it's all on me. Because I'm the guy who gets me through. If I forget that it's God who gets me through, then all of a sudden, here I am. I'm standing on the edge of the riverbank and somehow I've got to get through. I've got to figure this out because I'm the guy who gets me through. But... If you remember, oh no. You know, the last, the last situation I went through in my life that was really hard, God was right there with me. God, God brought me through. I'll never forget what God did for me. I'll never forget how God moved in ways that just overwhelmed me. And God brought me through. See, when that's my spirit, when that's my attitude, when I remember the next time I find myself standing at the edge of a river and I've got to cross something that's really hard, there's a great challenge in my life, I don't know how I'm going to get through, I'm going to do this, I'm going to say to myself, you know what, the last time God got me through, and this time God can get me through. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I just remember that the last time I went through some really deep waters, God was right there with me, and God brought me up out of the waters, and God will bring me out of the waters this time. And so the next time I find myself standing on the edge of the riverbank, knowing that I've got to go through a really tough time, here's what I say to myself. When God brought me through last time, obviously God can bring me through this time. Yesterday we had a funeral here in this room for a lady whose name is Roberta Petty. Roberta was a part of this church ever since she was in college at Bethany Nazarene College. She was married to her husband Jack 62 years. Obviously Jack is at a loss in his life. And so a couple of weeks ago when Roberta passed away, 
Pastor Lewis McLean and I got in a car and we drove over to Jack's house to plan the service. But Jack didn't open the door and greet me. It was a young girl about 20 whose name was Maddie. She says, oh, you're the pastors. Come on in. And so we went in and Jack was... uh, I think making a cup of coffee and Maddie just says, sit down, I'll get it. She gets his coffee. He needs a pen. Maddie says, here's a pen. Smiles when she hands it to him. He says, thank you, Maddie. And in a few minutes, Christian comes in with food from a restaurant. Getting the food ready for the three of them to eat. Christian and Maddie are grandkids of Jack. And they were there just to take care of them. Jack and Roberta, of course, both in their 80s, Roberta became very sick and Maddie flies up from Florida to just help take care of her grandma and her grandpa. And then when her grandmother passes, she's there to help Jack work through all the details. And I'm driving away. And I had a pretty powerful moment. And I thought to myself, you know, one day Annette and I were going to be in our... 80s and maybe 90s, who knows? And one of us is probably going to get really sick, maybe unto death. Who knows? And I thought to myself, I wonder if our granddaughter Sadie will get on a plane and if needs be, fly across the country and walk into our house and say, Ricky, Natty, I wanted to be here to help you guys out. See, Jack said to me yesterday, I'm going to need a lot of grace. I said, and Jack, God's going to give you a lot of grace. And so he sends Maddie, and he sends Christian, and he sends friends, and he sends family. And he comes with his own presence. And he says, Jack, I'm going to get you through. (laughs) Do do, do you remember when Jill, your daughter, died? You remember how I brought you through? Well, I'm going to get you through. See, I don't know how God's going to do it for you. And I don't know maybe all the details of what you're facing. But there's many of you, I do know what you're facing. But I can tell you today that just like God got you through before, God is going to get you through again. And what you can never forget is that it was God who brought me through. Because when I remember that God brought me through the last situation I was in, obviously God has the power to bring me through the situation that I'm facing today. God's with you. I love the 12 stones stuff. My mother-in-law lives in Goodlettsville, Tennessee. You heard me, Goodlettsville. And there in Goodlettsville, there's a little community with a golf course. And it's called Twelve Stones Crossing. I like that name. If I was going to build a golf course tomorrow, I would call it Twelve Stones Crossing. And I would pile a pile of rocks on the other side of the water. I like it. I found a Twelve Stones Church 
online. I found a 12 Stones counseling ministry. I found a 12 Stones uh, rock band. Don't know what that was all about. And I found a 12 Stones Christian school. I even found a 12 Stones landscaping company. I like the name 12 Stones. It's significant. For God, it meant something. Which then meant something to Joseph. Which then meant something to the people of Israel. I meant Joshua. Which then meant something to the descendants of the people of Israel. Which now means something to you and me. It wasn't like they were just going through life saying, we'll just do what everybody else does. I was in my car not long ago, early one morning, and I'm driving up Northwest Expressway, and there's nothing but blue lights and red lights flashing. There's been an accident, and traffic is way backed up, and you can't get around. But all of a sudden, I see all these people just turning right. You know, it's like they're taking a detour. And so I just fall in line with these, all these other cars that turned right. And I'm not really paying attention. I'm just assuming that eventually I'll pop back out on the expressway. But after a while, I thought, this doesn't quite feel right. And then I really begin to take notice. And I realized there were only about five of us cars together. All the others were gone. I don't know where they went, but there were only like five of us together. And, and then I started thinking, okay, this is not, we're not getting out of here. And, and then we just pull into an elementary school and we drop a kid off, you know. It was like, this must be a dignitary or something. A motorcade brings this kid to school, you know. This wasn't just about following along like the world follows along. There was intentionality. There was a plan here. See, when, when I think about the world that I live in today, I hear a lot more complaining than I do expressions of gratefulness. It seems to be there's a greater focus on what we don't have than what we do have. Do you know what happens when I get around people who are really grateful? I want to keep hanging around them. And the opposite is true. There's all these studies about people who remember their blessings and are thankful for their blessings, how they are more joyful and how they actually are healthier. I know it's crazy, but you can read studies about it and how they are more content with what they have. They have this attitude of, look at what God has done. We can never forget all that God does for us. Sometimes I get around people and all they want to talk to me about is all that God has done for them. And I just want to hang around those people more and more. I think this is the question. Okay. Um, What do you do after he brings you through? <laughs> I think it's a great question. See, we're just, we're just trying to get through. We're just wanting God, God to get us through this, God to bring us through. Well, what do you do after he brings you through? I think that's what this is about. My mother is the chief prayer warrior in our family. And sometimes one of my daughters will call me and say, Dad, you know, I'm dealing with this. And I'm like, yeah. And she says, you know, I finally just called Granny and asked her to pray. It's like if things get dire, we call my mom. 
You know, she is like, if you want a prayer answered, you call my mom. And sometimes my mom will call me and say, Morgan called me a few weeks ago and asked me to pray about something. Do you have any idea what's happened? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I got answered prayer like two days later. And she goes, I wish Morgan would let me know on occasion, you know. It's not a matter of just saying, well, God got me through. I'm out of here. No, what do you do when he brings you through? I think you've got to build something. And I don't know what it looks like. I've been racking my brain this week. What does it look like? What do you build? Is it a story that you tell year after year to your kids and your grandkids and to your great-grandkids? I don't know. What is it? Is it something that you actually physically build? Is it a piece of jewelry that you purchase or have made? Some of you are saying, didn't think of that, but say some more. I like where you're going with this. Your spouse is going, it's not going to happen. It's not happening. I'll get you a rock. Yeah. Is it, is it something you just keep? I've got a few things that I keep. I, I'm one of those people who says, you know, you never know. You might need that sometime. I say, well, then throw it away. We will buy another one. I don't keep a lot. My garage, I love my garage. Not much in it. But there's a few things that I keep. I brought this with me today because I will always keep it. It means a lot to me. It's, it's when we launched the Beyond campaign to rehab the interior of this room. Did you know that when I began to flip through it recently, I just had one of the best moments of my life. Troy Rhodes, who put this together, was in our first service. He's an architect. This picture looks a lot like the room you're sitting in right now. But do you know what? It didn't exist when this picture was drawn. It was a vision of what could be. And here it is. <laughs> and we begin to say to each other, God can do beyond what we would ever ask or imagine. There were many days when we were praying about rehabbing this room where I felt like I was standing on the banks of a river and I had no idea how I could get through. How in the world can you get that much money together? But he's able to do beyond what we would ever ask or imagine. And I feel like this is something I will always have with me when I'm 89 years old, if I'm living at 89, you come and see me and I'll dig this out of a file for you. I just don't want to forget what God has done. All right, I should wrap up, shouldn't I? Do you know what I think Thanksgiving is? And you're getting ready to celebrate this week. I think Thanksgiving is this. I think Thanksgiving, it has religious roots to its core. Don't let anybody tell you it doesn't. It's a religious holiday. It's when people said we should come together and give thanks to God for the harvest He has given us. And it's saying we ought to do it every year because we don't want to ever forget what God has done.
Let's give thanks. Do you know what I think today is about? I think it's about exalting God. I think it's about you and me saying, wow, look at what God does. I'd love to pray for you. Would you stand with me? Lord, we give you thanks. We give you praise. Let us never forget all that you have done for us. And there are some things that we just need to build an altar. Something that keeps us from ever forgetting your blessings in our lives. Let this week be a time when we reflect on all that you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.